Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome again to Phoenix Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're just walking in, we're glad that you're here. We're kicking off a new series this morning, Broken People, Big God. And here's the goal of this series. Here's where we're going over the next five weeks is we're going to look at five key figures in Scripture that, honestly, in church and in books we read, oftentimes we elevate these guys. Right? We put them on a pedestal and we'll say things like, be like David, have faith like David. In this passage we're going to look at today, in this story of Joseph, we're going to look at, a lot of times we say, forgive like Joseph. But really that's a flawed concept. If you actually read their stories, you realize that these guys are broken, just like you and me. That they're not superhuman, that they're not superheroes, that they're broken people just like you and me, but they serve a big guy. And that that God in them, through them, is able to do a miraculous, incredible work. And so as we look at these stories, I want you to see that. I want you to look at these people and see that they had flaws, but God had something for them. He wanted to do a powerful work in them and through them. And that's what we're going to look at as we look at the story of Joseph this morning. We're going to see this story of forgiveness. And so I'm excited for you to, to see that today. As you look at our Life, as you look at our culture, oftentimes we see power in dismissing someone who has hurt us. Like if we're just honest, we see power in dismissing someone who's hurt us. And, and we see power and we see excitement in dismissing and showing revenge to someone who's hurt us, right? In our culture, we, we love revenge. I mean, you just think about our movies. I mean, we have Gladiator, Braveheart, Patriot, Rocky, Karate Kid. These are my top five. All right? And they're all based on revenge. And we get really excited about these movies. I know my favorite scene in Rocky IV, when Rocky's training in the bitter cold, and you got the music going, and you feel like for a few moments, I'm going to go work out. <laughs> but then that moment passes, and you grab some more popcorn, and you just keep watching the movie, and Rocky's running in the bitter cold, my favorite scene. He makes it to the top of this mountain. And what does he do? He just yells out, Drago! Drago! And you're just like, yes, like it's about to go down, right? Because we love stories of revenge. And those are obviously exaggerated moments in movies, right? Most of you are never going to be on the top of that mountain in Russia. Working out to that music, even though that would be glorious, and I still dream about that today. <laughs> Most of us are never going to experience those exaggerated moments of possibilities for revenge. But just think about the daily things you say. I mean, we say things like, they don't deserve you. Nobody talks to me like that. I mean, if I don't stand up for myself, who will? Have you said things like that? Because we think there's power in those statements. Like when we say those things, we're like, they don't deserve you. We feel some power and excitement in that. If someone has wronged us in saying those statements, and it works itself out in different ways. Like some of you attack, and it's obvious. Right? It's direct. Somebody wrongs you, and you go right back at them. And you'll say things like that. Like, I go right back at them. Nobody does that to me. But some of us, we avoid. Like some of us attack. But some of us avoid, and, and avoidance is just as strong. Like when we say things like, well, that person who wronged me, I mean, I'm not going to talk to them. 
I'm going to give them the cold shoulder. Like there's power in those kind of actions as well, even when we avoid that it's displaying a heart of revengeance. At least, at the very least, it's, it's displaying a heart of dismissal. That I'm going to dismiss that person who's wronged me. And what we're going to see in Scripture is that true power doesn't come from vengeance, but it comes from forgiveness. And we're going to see that in the story of Joseph. So I'd invite you to grab a Bible, open it up, head to Genesis chapter 37, beginning of your Bible. We'll also have it on the screen if you want to look on there. As you head there, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I I pray for these few moments that we have to look at this story of Joseph. God, I do pray that you would help us to put on gospel lenses as we read this story, that you would help us to see that Joseph was flawed, but he just served a, a great God, and that God is with us today, that you are with us today, and that you would enable us to see in our own lives that we are broken, but you are big. God, that you would quicken our minds so we could think clearly, that you would remove distractions, that you would soften our heart in this moment so we could be taught by you. God, that you would change us. We would never be the same this morning. I pray that by your spirit, through your words, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's look right at it. Genesis 37, we'll start in verse 3. It says this, now Israel, Israel is Jacob, so you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so we're talking about Jacob. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told his father and his brothers, his, father's, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come down to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So as we look at the story of Joseph, right away we see that there's drama. Right? We see the big parenting no-no, that Jacob as a father plays favorites. We just had our, our third child, but I remember just when we had Neela, my six-year-old daughter, I would say, there's my favorite little lady. But we just had another baby girl, so I can't say that to my six-year-old daughter anymore. Right? I have two favorite little ladies, right? because I don't want to show favorites as a parent. But Jacob does that, and look at the text. He makes it clear. He gives them some special attire a robe of many colors. And his brothers aren't thrilled with this. If you know anything about that culture in the day, the oldest, like the eldest son, the firstborn son, that's who would get all the entitlement. That's who would have all the rights in the family. That's who would be favored. And so Jacob flips that, and Joseph, one of the youngest sons, he's favored. And he gives him this special robe of many colors. And then Joseph rubs it in, right? 
Like he doesn't just stop there with the, with the coat and even having the dreams. He tells people about the dreams. He tells his family about these dreams. I don't know about you, but just as a side note, if you have dreams where other people in your life, specifically your family, are going to bow down to you, you might want to keep that dream private. Like you might just want to ponder that in your heart, right? And not tell those people about those dreams. He has two, and he explains those dreams to these people so much that even his dad, Jacob, who loved Joseph, is thinking, this is a bit much, Joseph. And it says in verse 10, he rebukes him. And I love this. He says, you mean me and your mother and your brothers, we're all going to bow down to you? Listen, this is more than just the, the arrogant teenager. Right? We see in this passage, Joseph, most scholars think, is about 17 years old. If you've been around teenagers, they think they know everything. You were a teenager once. You thought you knew everything. This is a little bit more than that, right? It's asking his family to bow down to him and saying, this is a dream I had. And that day, dreams were the equivalent of God speaking to you and through you. And so when their family hears this, they're saying, is this, is this really going to happen? That's why you see Jacob. It's interesting. He says, Jacob hung on to this because he just thought, maybe. Maybe this is from God. Maybe this is true. I don't like it, but maybe it is. And so he hung on to that saying. But this is where Joseph's story takes some crazy turns. I, I hope you read it. Genesis 37 through 50 is Joseph's entire story. And man, there's some crazy turns. It's like a movie. So I hope you go back and read it. I want to give you a snapshot this morning. And so first, you see his brothers. Right in this text, we see they hated him. They were jealous. If you keep reading, some of Joseph's brothers were so mad that they wanted to kill him. Like Reuben, the oldest, seemingly the voice of reason, sort of, when his brothers want to kill Joseph, he says, no, 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 I have a better idea. Let's just throw him in a pit. <laughs> oh, the mercy. Let's just throw him in a pit. And so they have this plan to throw him in a pit. And they do, but then they get a better idea. And they think, man, we could sell him into slavery and we could profit off this. And, and so they do. They sell him into slavery. Some of you know the story. They go home, tell their father that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. And they have this robe, this robe of many colors, this sign of favoritism towards Joseph. And they have this robe and they dip it in blood to prove Joseph is actually dead. But he's not. They sold him into slavery. He ends up being bought by a guy named Potiphar, ends up in the land of Egypt, Potiphar was a powerful official under Pharaoh. And at first, he has some favor with Potiphar. If you go on to read the text, you see he has favor with Potiphar so much so that he rules over his whole household. And it says that Potiphar doesn't worry about his house when Joseph is there. That he thinks things are good. So as bad as things are, right, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, things aren't so bad for Joseph until some more things happen. He's accused of attempted rape by Potiphar's wife. Again, around this time, he was probably around 20 years old. Potiphar's wife asked him to sleep with her. He says no. He resists. She does it again. And she rips part of his shirt. And then she accuses him of attempted rape. Most often in that day, that would have required him being executed. But for whatever reason, we don't know, Potiphar puts him in prison. Some people think that this had probably happened before with Potiphar's wife and slaves that they had had. And so some people think that, some scholars think that, well, he, he probably knew she was lying, but he says, I got to do something. 
So he puts him in a prison, and this is interesting. I don't know if you know this part of the story, but he puts him in a prison where eventually there's Roman, I mean, sorry, Egyptian officials in prison with him. The cupbearer of the king, a couple years later, ends up in prison with Joseph, and Joseph has the opportunity to interpret his dream. And he does. And these two guys, he interprets their dreams. One is going to die, and one is going to live and be restored to his position. That's the cupbearer. And that happens. Right? Joseph interprets this correctly. Some of you know this story. And so this cupbearer goes back to the king, but it says he forgets Joseph. So he doesn't remember that Joseph interpreted his dream, the favor he had with Joseph, that Joseph was a good guy, a noble guy. He doesn't remember that, and Joseph is stuck in prison for a couple more years. But then Pharaoh has a dream, and it says that none of his magicians could interpret this dream. But the cupbearer says, I know a guy. I know a guy. I think there was this guy when I was in prison. I had this dream. He interpreted it correctly. Maybe he's your guy. Maybe he could help you. And so he brings him before Pharaoh. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream correctly. He says that there's going to be seven years of plenty of harvest, and then there will be seven years of famine. And Joseph does that correctly. And not only is he released from prison, but he's given prominence in the land of Egypt. It says that he's given governorship over the land. That he's second to Pharaoh in charge. And that years go by, and those seven years of plenty go by, and then those seven years of famine come, and that during that famine, some people have to come up to buy food because they have prepared for this famine. And who shows up? His brothers. Right? They didn't know Joseph was there. They couldn't have. They sold him into slavery. They would have no concept of Joseph being in power like this. And so they go up, they see Joseph, and they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them. How could he forget, right? Just imagine that. These are his brothers, his family, who sold him into slavery. And all these things have happened in his life, some good, some bad. But this wasn't the course of his life he was thinking would take place when he was a teenager. And he sees his brother. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And then comes the moment of truth. Flip over to Genesis 45. Listen to what happens. Genesis 45, starting in verse 1, says this. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. This would have been the opportunity for revenge, right? Like he finally comes out and says, I, I know who you are. This is who I am. I'm Joseph. Where's my father? This is his Drago moment. But he doesn't take it. Why? This is his Drago moment. This is that moment where he could have said, listen, I know what you did to me. And he had the power to do something about it. But he doesn't. He says, won't you come near? Like they think it might be him. They're dismayed, we read in the text, but they're not sure. And he says, won't you come near? Imagine being in that room. Like, imagine wondering, maybe that is Joseph. 
Maybe somehow he escaped slavery. Maybe somehow he is in this position today. Or maybe this is somebody who's tricking us. Remember, they lied about this. I mean, they said Joseph was dead. And so they're hearing somebody claim to be Joseph. At that moment, they're, they're probably split between two thoughts, right? Maybe this is Joseph, and what's he going to do to us? Or maybe this is someone impersonating Joseph who saw this happen, and they're out to get us. And so this is the setting that we have. And in that moment, he says, come near, verse 4. Like, wouldn't you be freaking out? Like, come near? Like, what's he going to do, slap me? I mean, what's he going to do? Give me a hug? I mean, I don't know what's about to happen. But listen to what he says. He says, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Notice he acknowledges what they did to him. Like, he doesn't bypass it. He puts it right out there. Some of you have been hurt. And as we think about forgiveness this morning, some of you have been hurt, maybe in the midst of that right now. And some of you think, like, ah, it's no big deal. Like, you try to avoid it. You try to dismiss it. Maybe it's something with your spouse. Maybe it's just something small this week, and it just keeps popping up in your heart. And you think, I'm just going to avoid it. I mean, it would be too hard to confront. It would take too long. It would bring up too many emotions. And you think, I'm just going to avoid it. Maybe some of you, that's just a, a small blip on your radar this week. But maybe some of you, man, you've been dealing with that for years. Maybe it was when you were younger and you were abused. Maybe it was when you were older and you lost a job. And you're still hanging on to that bitterness. You walk with it. You carry it with you. And you have yet to acknowledge it. And notice, Joseph acknowledges it. He says right away, I'm your brother. Remember, remember, remember that guy who you sold into slavery? Like he acknowledges it right away. And some of you need to acknowledge it. You don't need to say it's not a big deal. My wife and I, when we have conflict. We kind of have a rule that when we apologize, we don't say it's not a big deal. Like we accept it and we say we forgive so that we know there was hurt, but there can also be forgiveness. Because if we just dismiss it, we'll never experience that healing. And so we, we say to each other, like, we used to say to each other, I'm sorry. And one of us would say, no, 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 you don't have to say you're sorry. It's not a big deal. And we just got to a point like, no, it is. Like, relationships are messy. We sin against one another. We hurt one another. And we need to come to a place where we acknowledge that to the other person in our heart. And some of you are thinking, well, that's awkward. Yeah, it's awkward because nobody does that. Right? That's a unique thing. That's a supernatural thing because of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can acknowledge sin that's been done against us. Because we know that there's resolution in that. There's a healing that can come. There's forgiveness because we have been forgiven. And what do we see Joseph do? He acknowledges it, and then he releases them from their debt. He says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. So he doesn't slap them. Right? He acknowledges the debt. He releases the debt. He says, do not be distressed. After all these years, he could say a lot of things. He could say, listen, I want to tell you about what's happened in my life. I want to tell you all the twist and turn that have taken place in my life. But he doesn't do that. He says immediately, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. But if you know the story, that's not the end of it. And some of you know this. Some of you have had conflict, you've been hurt, and you do go to somebody. You do acknowledge, right? 
and you do have a conversation about it. Maybe you even forgive that person, but you know it doesn't always end there. Like sometimes it pops back up in a few months. Sometimes it pops back up in a few years because the hurt was so deep. And that's what happens with Joseph. Look at Genesis chapter 50. Flip it over to Genesis chapter 50. Verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so Jacob has died at this point, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about what many people, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How could Joseph do all that? Like after all these years, his brothers are still wondering, and they're still manipulating to some extent. They're saying, hey, remember, Jacob said, don't do anything to us. Like, forgive us, remember? You're not going to hurt us now that Jacob's dead. And Joseph responds with compassion. He forgives them but he also restores them. Look at the text. He says, I'm going to provide for you and your little ones. He says, I'm going to take care of you and your kids. He comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How could Joseph do all that? Is he just, is he just a kind-hearted guy? Is he just noble? Did he have some special touch of God that he was able to show this kind of kindness? I mean, it's the Old Testament. It's a story from a long time ago. Some of you grew up with this on a flannel graph. And you're thinking, this was, this was forever ago. I mean, this is Genesis. This doesn't relate to my story today. Like, I can't forgive like he did. Listen, you need to know the rest of the story. I mean, I'd love for you to go back and read it. This was a process, right? We just skipped ahead of some chapters. Chapter 45, chapter 50. There's some chapters in there where we read that Joseph tests his brothers. And again, as we look at that, we don't know his motivation for that. He sends his brothers to go back and get Benjamin, his youngest brother. He puts them in jail for like three days. And some scholars would say, well, he's just taking some time to think about this. This is a hefty moment in his life, and he doesn't know what to do. And that's very possible. But there could have also been some bitterness there. Like this was a process for Joseph. He didn't immediately forgive. Like this is a long process. There's chapters at stake here. But it gets him to a point. It's a process that gets him to a point. Listen, Joseph was broken just like you and me. But he served a big God. He knew a God that could forgive. And so he was able to forgive others. And we see it in verse 20. It culminates. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Joseph says God was in this. That there was purpose in the pain. That this wasn't just a story about brothers and betrayal that God was moving in and through this situation. You see, Joseph doesn't just put his eyes on those around him. He puts his eyes on the one above him. He doesn't just look at the source of his bitterness. He looks at the source of his own forgiveness. And that process, 
that he didn't get to right away. It was a process. Gets him to a point where he can say, you meant evil, but God meant it for good. That alone is what allows him to forgive. That alone is what allows him to release them of their debt. He doesn't just release them of their debt. He restores them to a loving relationship. They are reunited as family. Listen, as we look at the story of Joseph, a lot of times we will look at that story and we'll say, be like Joseph. Forgive like Joseph. And we miss the point that the only reason Joseph was able to forgive is because he had been forgiven. The only reason Joseph was able to be kind in this moment was because he had experienced the kindness of God. That it's not be like Joseph, that it's be like God. It's not respond like Joseph, it's respond like God. If you know God, that's the call on your life. It's not respond like Joseph, it's respond like God did through Joseph. That we look at a perfect God, a kind God, who in his compassion has forgiven us. That's the only thing that enables us to forgive others. So if you've met Jesus, if you've experienced the kindness of God displayed in the life of Jesus, demonstrated in the death of Jesus, declared in the resurrection of Jesus, if you know that Jesus, you have been forgiven. And therefore, you can forgive. And we see that in the New Testament. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, forgiven people forgive. We see it in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That God's forgiveness of you is directly linked to your forgiveness of others. That you need to shift your focus from the source of your bitterness to the source of your forgiveness. That that's where it starts. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you have a hurt that just happened last week. And it's just a blip on your radar. Maybe you're unsettled about it. Maybe it was your spouse. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. Some of you have deeper wounds that have lasted years. And you need to come to a point where you acknowledge it and you release it. But that's not from your own strength. That's from the strength that God provides through you. You look at Jesus. He told the story of an immoral woman who was wiping his feet. And he told the crowd, this woman loves much because she has been forgiven much. And, and listen, that's the, that's the idea. As you look at Jesus as we realize how much we have been forgiven, listen, I was dead and I've been made alive, then we can begin to forgive other people by looking to Jesus. Because as we look at Jesus, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, you think about it, Jesus was at the right hand of the king. But he came down to a people who betrayed him. And not just a few people. The whole world who had sinned against Jesus and Jesus enters into human history. He lives a life amongst them, showing kindness, healing all kinds of people and all kinds of diseases. And then he lays his life down for those people who betrayed him, for those people who had wronged him. And he lays his life down freely on the cross. And he doesn't just save us and forgive us. He restores us into his family. Jesus is the true. He's the better Joseph. Ultimately, as we look at Joseph, we're pointed to Jesus. As we get to know the source of our forgiveness, we're able to forgive other people. And so as you think about that in your own life, what is keeping you from forgiveness? Is it revenge? Is it bitterness? In Croatia, there's a museum called the Museum of Broken Relationships. There's memorabilia of bitterness 
It's failed relationships. People take objects, personal objects from their home. They remind them of these broken relationships, and they put this in the museum in Croatia. This is a real thing. Look it up. There's this museum of broken relationships in Croatia where people are hanging on to bitterness. It's signs of their revenge, of their bitterness, of their heart of bitterness. And sometimes we look at that and think, really? Like some of you are looking it up right now. Like, is there a museum of broken relationships? Would people be that bitter? But listen, you and I have a museum in our hearts. Like some of you, you think about the people who wronged you. If I were to ask you, and just think about the people who wronged you. Some of you would say, I don't need to think about it. I know. Like I have an Evernote solely dedicated to them. Like I keep track of all the people in my life who've wronged me, people in my job, my family, my friends. And you know, you know without a shadow of doubt, those people, how they've wronged you. And you have a museum of bitterness in your heart. And what we're called to do in Scripture, because we know a God who forgives, is to let go of that bitterness and to begin to forgive. And most of you know that that Evernote, that that museum of bitterness in your heart, it's not helping you. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. But you're dying. Like, you're in bondage, and it's not affecting the other person. Sometimes, if you've never acknowledged it, they don't even know. But it's cratering you because you're hanging on to that bitterness. We have to get to a point where we release that debt. We acknowledge it. You need to acknowledge it, but then you release it, just like Joseph did, even when it's hard. I think about in my life, um, honestly, there's lots of, of things I could think about, um, particularly from just earlier on in life and different stages of my life. But honestly, I just thought of the most recent. And some of you know our story, but, um, and not to rehash it all the time, but this is, what, this is what kept coming back to my heart and my mind, is that we came down here to lead a church. And that church was closed. We were let go from that church. And man, that's been eight, nine months ago now. But when my wife and I were talking this week, there's some bitterness left there. There's some residue left of thinking, why? Why did that happen? Like, why did they abandon us? Why, why did it feel like God abandoned us? And there was some bitterness there. And we had to get to a point where we just said, you know what? God had a purpose in that pain, just like Joseph. That God sent us here to start a new church. That God sent us here to learn a lot about forgiveness. And so there's people from that situation that I've had to go back and forgive and release them of that debt and say, you know what, I know there was lots of crazy things. I acknowledge it. It was tough. It's still tough today. But I'm going to release that. Because here's why. At the end of the day, that's not affecting them as much as it's affecting me. That I'm going to bed thinking about that. That I'm waking up thinking about that. I'm carrying that with me as a weight. And I need to let it go. Because I realize I'm forgiven in Christ, and so I can forgive others, and I can let that go, even when it's hard. And we've experienced relief and healing from that process. And it's a joy. We can look back on it. We can say, and we're thankful for that season in our life. We're thankful that it brought us here. We're thankful that it's got us here right now, and that I'm speaking to you today. And we have a church that's healthy and sustaining and moving forward. And that's, that's occurred in our lives. We have experienced joy from that forgiveness. But 
Listen, that's not as crazy as some of your situations might be. And I, I know other people in my life who I've encountered. There was a guy in Portland who his dad was in prison. And I remember sitting and talking to the guy, and we were getting through the whole story. And he said, I just found out my, my dad is in prison again. He'd been in prison his whole life, just in and out of prison. And he found out he was in prison again because he recently found out his dad was sentenced to life because he molested two teenage girls. This is a 22-year-old guy that I got to know pretty well in Portland. And he's just saying, he's crying as he's telling me this, and he's broken. Like, I never knew my dad growing up because he was always in jail. And now he's sentenced to life, and he molested two teenage girls, and that's my dad. And so he's dealing with that heaviness, and he's not sure what to do. And he's asking me, like, what should I do? Like, I'm just bitter. I wake up with that bitterness. I go to bed with that bitterness. How do I deal with this? And honestly, he didn't deal with it that day. Like, he wasn't ready to deal with it. It took time. At one point, we got coffee together, and he's sitting there talking to me, and we had just looked at Scripture and saw how God was a loving father, and he loves us with a fatherly affection. And that cratered him, just to know that God loves me like that. I never saw that in my earthly father, but I see that in my heavenly father, and I want to love my dad like my heavenly father has loved me. And so he said, well, how can I do that? I don't know. And we decided together, let's write him a letter. You don't have to go visit him in person. It may not be time for that. You may not be equipped to do that. But you can write him a letter. And so he started writing the letter. And he didn't write it in one day. And it took like six months for him to get all this out on paper. But he sent his dad that letter. And listen, I don't know if his dad are ever going to reunite as a family. His dad's in prison. But there was a weight lifted off this guy like you'd never believe. I mean, his testimony is all wrapped up into this. As he talks to other people who have been hurt, he's able to tell them no matter what they've been through, listen, I've been through a crazy situation with my dad, and I was able to come to the point of forgiveness, not because of me, but because of my heavenly father. That when we forgive, it releases a debt to the other person, but it releases us from that bitterness that weighs us down. You see, forgiveness can be really powerful for you personally, for your family, for your neighbors. It can be life-changing. Some of you are thinking, well, what does that look like? I mean, that's what it looked like for that guy. This is what it looked like for you. I want to give you some simple steps just to walk through. It's not a formula, but just some simple steps. The first one is this. Acknowledge the debt. We talked about this. Like forgiveness is not avoidance or saying it's not a big deal. Acknowledge the debt. What or who caused it? I do that this morning. What or who caused the bitterness that you have in your life, the hurt that you have in your life? What caused that? Maybe you've never asked that question because you thought it'd be too painful. You need to ask it. You need to write it down. You need to proclaim, this is how this person, this situation has wronged me and hurt me. You need to acknowledge the debt, but you don't need to stay there. That's where bitterness consumes you. You need to view the debt in light of the cross. That's our second thing. Be reminded of the debt Jesus paid on the cross for all of sin. Listen, that should comfort you, that nobody gets away with anything in the economy of God. Maybe some of you, if you're honest, the reason you're hesitating to forgive other people is because you think, well, no, they'll get away with it. Listen, because God is justice, is a God of justice, he's holy, nobody gets away with anything that their punishment will be served. They're either going to trust in Jesus and the punishment that he took for all of sin, for all of hurt, for all of wrongs on the cross, 
or they're going to be punished in eternal torment and hell. Like justice is going to be served, and it's not up to you. It's up to a holy and just God. So you need to look at the cross and see how Jesus paid for all of debt, for all of sin, all the things that have been said to you, all the ways that you've been hurt, all the ways that you've been wrong, that Jesus paid for that. And if that other person trusts in Jesus, it's paid for. Like they're not getting away with it. And if they haven't, there's eternal separation from God. That God is taking care of that, that you don't need to. That that weight can be lifted off your shoulders. So view the debt and light of the cross. Begin to shift your focus from the source of your bitterness to the source of your forgiveness. Be reminded of all that you've received in Jesus. He has canceled all of your debt. So you can begin to cancel others. If we don't realize how bad off we are, we can never forgive those who have just wronged us. We have to realize he has canceled our debt. We can forgive others' debt. And then the third thing is we need to release the debt by the power of the Spirit. We need to make a decision to forgive, to say, you don't owe me anymore. Not in your strength, but in Jesus working through you. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody who has said something to you that just pierced your soul, and you think, how could they say that to me? You need to make a decision to cancel that debt. You need to acknowledge it, view it in light of the cross, and then release them from it. Maybe not today. Like maybe you're thinking, man, I've been hurt in so many ways by this person. It's not safe. You may not need to go to that person. Maybe you need to wait a while. Maybe you need to get some other people to go with you. But you need to make a decision and make a plan for how you're going to release that debt. As we look at our lives, as our family, our friendships, we need to make decisions to cancel those debts. Because if we don't, it will cost you deeply. It will rob you of your joy. Some of you know the story of Carrie Ten Boom from the Holocaust. She was tortured by Nazis. She watched her her sister be killed. And years later, she meets one of the guards who presided over this whole process. She's in a church, and she's kind of sharing her testimony. And there's a guy across the room. She sees him, and she recognizes him as one of those guards from those times. And she says that she sees his face, she immediately remembers her sister's face. And she remembers how he presided over her death, how he tortured them. And that guy walks up. He asks her for forgiveness. He says, hello, Foyline. And he asks her for forgiveness. And he sticks out his hand. And Carrie Timboom says this. She says, at first, I couldn't do it. Like, I resisted. I don't know. Maybe she put her hands in her back pocket. And she just felt cold. But then she knew privately. She was a Christian. She knew that... And Jesus has forgiven me. I'm called to forgive others. And so she prayed silently, Jesus, help me. And she says, she stuck out her hand, and she says it was very mechanic and cold. But in that moment, as she asked Jesus for help, that the Holy Spirit came upon her, that her cold hand turned into a warm hand of forgiveness. And they embraced each other. They cried together, and she forgave him. And she said, that in that moment she had never known God's love so intensely because she was able to get to a point where she released her bitterness and forgave. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you've had an experience that traumatic or if it's just an ongoing thing in your life with a friend, with a family member, with your father. I don't know what that is for you, but you need to get to a point where you throw on gospel lenses and you realize Jesus has forgiven me He has canceled my debt, a very large debt, a debt that I could not pay. 
And therefore, and only by that, only by his grace and by the power of the spirit of my life, can I forgive others? And you need to ask Jesus for help. You need to ask Jesus for help. You can't do this by yourself. Jo- Joseph couldn't either. Right? He had encountered a big God who had, did a, who had done a work in his life, and therefore he was able to forgive. This morning, you need to come to that place. Not in your own strength. Not because you're great, but because, because you serve a great God that we would forgive, that we would be a people who are forgiven, that forgive other people, that point them to a God who has forgiven them. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you.